All right, James. Uh, hopefully you've been enjoying James. James is challenging. All right. Uh, I poked fun about it a couple of weeks ago. We were looking at James, uh, how Martin Luther, the, the famous German theologian, uh, called James an epistle of straw, uh, meaning it's weak. Uh, James isn't really very weak. Uh, James is incredibly blunt, very direct. Uh, he does not mince words. Uh, in uh, the chapter we're going to look at today, chapter 3, uh, on, uh, on our tongues, on our speech, on our words, uh, is uh, kind of like the, the meat in the middle, okay? I mean, he, it's very strong and it's very challenging, you know, but it's obviously uh, super important for him to devote so much, uh, so much uh, paper to, or I guess papyrus to, back in the day. So let's read here. Uh, James chapter 3, uh, we'll look at the first 12 verses, and we'll also look a bit out of Matthew 12, uh, which I'm sure we all remember from when we studied Matthew. Amen? So for those of you with incredible uh, eyes, you can read it up there. James 3, starting at verse 1, it's a pleasant one to read. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I mean, if you're into speaking, Right? And so for, for, for me and, and whoever else gets up and speaks, we've got to think about that. Right? When, you're, when you're talking a lot, more judgment comes. People will weigh your words more. Uh, it doesn't mean there's a different standard. It just means uh, it's going to tell you some things about yourself uh, because people are going to understand your words. And so uh, Keep reading now. Verse 2, he says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, a tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Yowzers. He's not done now. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring, my brothers and sisters? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Amen. Scary to speak after that, okay? Uh, let's have a prayer, and then uh, we'll uh, speak a few words as we look at this text. Amen? Let's pray. Now, Father, we, uh, you know, we thank you for James. We thank you for, you know, obviously his repentance uh, later on in his life. You know, we know he didn't follow you, his older brother at first, but did eventually, Father. We, we thank you for the words he's, he's written down, uh, the sheer practicality of James, Father. We pray you help us, God, to, today to, to have a greater understanding, a greater awareness of, uh, of really the power of, of our words, God, the importance of them, God, and, and, and help us to, to be a people 
uh, that, that learn uh, what, you, what you have to tell us about the, the words that come out of our mouths, God. Be with us now, God. Help your spirit to, to move among us. Uh, open up the eyes of our hearts just as we sang, Father, to, to help us to see uh, you first and foremost and in ourselves as well. Uh, give us help in all these areas. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. It, look, it is challenging. <laughs> it's, it's a great one. It really is a great, great passage. Very, very practical, you know, and there, there's heaps in it. And it is part of a wider, wider section in James. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that towards the end, you know, but, but he has, James has a lot to say, right? You remember in the beginning, James talks about uh, that each of us should be slow to speak and quick to listen. He, he's going to continue that theme. And even in, in, in uh, you know, chapter, you know, we were obviously read chapter three there, uh, but he'll continue. I mean, I, I would say even his chain of thought here that he's beginning in chapter three will continue. If you look in, in chapter four, uh, even down there in verse 11 there, he, he's talking about don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them, you know, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you who are you to judge your, your, your neighbor. And then the next section after that is about boasting. And again, he's still talking about words, uh, even as he gets into to chapter 5. Uh, you know, and, and we'll kind of look at this, uh, you know, chapters 3 and 4 a fair bit, you know, over the next couple weeks. Amen? Uh, but, you know, we'll focus in on the, on the first part of these uh, you know, pretty powerful chapter, and we'll talk about this, uh, which is fairly obvious, right? Uh, the power of words, the power of words. Even before you even begin to dissect the words that are said, uh, again, in the short letter, he's putting a lot of emphasis on words, on, on what we say, on how we speak, and, and, and the content that comes out of our mouth. So obviously it, it has importance, uh, but we'll also look at the immense problem that our words do bring. And so we'll look at these two concepts uh, a little bit more in depth through the power of our words and the problem of our words. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Let's look first at this, right? He, he, he drives this home, right? Not just by warning, uh, you know, against, you know, teachers being, being mindful of the fact that they're going to be judged more closely, uh, but then he gives this series of metaphors, right? Uh, and in, in James's time, uh, the, the, the most powerful machine in some sense was the horse, right? Horses not so much anymore. Uh, we refer to them as horsepower in, in, in our engines, uh, you know, but we used to live in Melbourne, uh, and when we first moved to Melbourne, we lived in Kensington, which was right next to the Flemington race, race course, right, and there's a horse race that somehow stops the nation, which is interesting, uh, didn't discover that until it moved to Australia, you know, but uh, it, it's an interesting, it, I've never per personally been that big into horse racing, uh, but, you know, you do watch it when you get a day off, which is kind of nice, right, I think even in Perth, there's generally kind of an understood uh, minimal amount of work, uh, a lot of horse weight watching, um, you know, that goes on, you know, and, 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 you know, mankind taming horses goes way back, right? Some, some historians say 3,500 BC, long, long time ago, right? Uh, you know, in, the, in 2000 BC, they discovered, uh, you know, used the use of the nose ring as well to, 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 to direct animals. Uh, but, you know, the one that obviously caught on a fair bit is that of the, the bit in a horse's mouth. Uh, you know, and, and you think of, you know, again, I've never watched heaps of horse racing, but I'm always mystified by the, you know, the, 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 the incredible contrast between uh, an animal that runs at like, I don't know, 60 kilometers an hour, right? I mean, the horses run pretty, pretty fast. Uh, they weigh 500, 600 ki ki kilos. Uh, and then you got this itty bitty jockey, 
You know what I mean? Who, who barely, I mean, like wet weighs 50 kilos, okay? You know, they're tiny, tiny people, uh, and yet able to control an animal that would kill them, really. And do sometimes injure them when they fall on them. I mean, it, it, you know, how do they do it? How do they steer it? How do they control it? You know, simply a little piece of stainless steel across the jaw. Very interesting, you know. And I spent way too much time this week reading about bits and, you know, the different horse racing, th- you know, theories. Uh, you know, whether a, uh, <laughs> this is, has nothing to do with the text, right? But whether a jockey should basically be like a lizard on a log, no movement whatsoever, as little movement as possible, or whether it should, you know, the jockey should actually try to kind of work with the motion of the stride of the horse. Uh, you know, a lot of people think the latter of the two techniques developed in the 1900s has helped to, to, uh, to shave uh, like 1% off of times over the last 100 years. Useless information, right? You know, but, but fascinating to think, man, uh, a, a little small 50-kilo guy being able to steer a powerful horse at high speed simply by the bit. And that's probably what James's point was, not horses and jockeys and all that stuff, right? But an apt metaphor to tell us, look, here's, here's how words have power, right? Uh, you know, ships in James's day were not this big, right? I learned last week uh, that, that Blair has a different distant relative, uh, you know, named Nimitz, uh, who if you're familiar with American uh, military stuff, they have a Nimitz class of, uh, of aircraft carriers named after Blair's great-great-grandfather somewhere, I don't know, somewhere down the road, right? But he was a great admiral, uh, and, and, and airport craft carriers are big, but they're not as big as uh, this, uh, this, this uh, ocean um, shipping container that was originally called Seawise C- Giant, uh, later got named Jare Viking. Uh, you know, half a million tons, not loaded, okay? Half a million tons, huge, huge ship, right? Uh, too, too large to even navigate the English Channel. Um, it's... Uh, <laughs> It was commissioned. It was actually sunk by Saddam Hussein uh, during the Gulf War uh, and, and written off. And then someone, you know, I guess some mathematician sitting in the office realized that thing's kind of like really huge. Uh, it's actually worth bringing it up from the depths of the ocean. And it and actually was recommissioned and, and worked uh, on the open seas again for like 20 more years, right? It's massive, right? And, it, you know, huge, huge ship. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, 500 meters long. Uh, like I said, a half million tons, not even loaded, too big to navigate the English Channel, uh, you know. But you think about, okay, half a million tons, not even loaded, and, and its rudder is only 230 kilos. Big contrast. Right? Again, James had no idea what ships would become, but his metaphor still works, right? Uh, powerful picture of, again, something so small being able to direct. A huge, a huge thing, right? Uh, you know, and the last one he uses there is, uh, uh, of a fire, right? in, in Australia, we're, we're aware of bushfires, right? Uh, you know, Melbourne, when we lived in Melbourne, they still talk about Black Friday, which happened early on in the ni- 1930, something like that, right? Burned half a million acres, right? Half a million acres, you know? Uh, this is a picture of California had pretty bad uh, uh, bushfires last year. You know, something has to do with them bringing over eucalyptus trees from Australia and not actually knowing how to take care of uh, a tree that's highly flammable. Uh, that's kind of a side point. But that, that massive fire that happened in California last year, they, they, they trace back the source, right? And, you know, Australia has total fire bans uh, where you can't, you know, obviously you can't have a backyard fire and just burn leaves because they know that, that something can, just a little ember, right? That's all it takes. 
Uh, you know, for, if you work in the construction industry, you can't use like an angle grinder if there's a total fire ban because a small, small spark. They, they, you know, they trace back to what started those massive fires in California. It was a guy using a hammer to hammer a tent peg that started that. Crazy. Again, do you think a hammer? Okay, I mean, I don't know. Uh, angle grinder it makes sense. Uh, you know, not having a backyard fire, you know, in your open fire pit makes sense, but a hammer, I mean, seriously, a spark so small. Again, tremendous effect. And again, this is what James is talking about. He's saying, hey, look, we've got to understand the power of the words. They may seem small. Your, your tongue may seem small. Uh, it may seem insignificant. Uh, you may think it's a throwaway comment. You may say, as I often do, man, I'm just joking. But James is saying, no, no, you've got to understand. Words are powerful. Tremendous effect. This can seem so small and insignificant in comparison to other things, but man, we, we got to realize they, they, in and of themselves, have tremendous power. Right? I mean, you think about even the Bible, right? I mean, you think about God's viewpoint of words, okay? Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created by his word, speaking into existence. Right? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 tells us that the, the Son sustains all things by His Word. I mean, he holds the universe together, our lives together, all of creation together by a Word. God has a high, high viewpoint of Word. I mean, remember when we, when we went through Matthew, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, Heaven and earth is going away, but my Word is not. Yeah. Word is, is, is powerful. Right, uh, you know, and I did a, did a skim of Proverbs, okay, and oh gosh, Proverbs has so much to say about our words and about our tongue and about our mouth, right? Proverbs eleven verse nine: With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. You could destroy someone with your words, right? Proverbs twelve eighteen: The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I mean, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. I mean, I never had a sword. I wouldn't mind a sword, actually. It'd be kind of cool, right? You know, but imagine the ridiculousness of that, though, like playing around with a sword and, and, and cutting Trevor's arm off <laughs> and saying, oops, sorry. No big deal. Didn't mean it. Well, consequences remain. Trevor's now one-armed Trevor, okay? You know what I mean? <laughs> Again, it's Proverbs is a strong image. That reckless words are like that. And we may think we can just retract them with a throwaway comment or just joking or I'm sorry, didn't mean to hurt your feelings, but man, consequences. The consequences of messing around with a sword can be can be life or death. Like re- reckless words pierce like a sword. Or healing. Again, not just negative, but also positive. Right? They can they can bring healing. Now, Proverbs 15, great example of positive impact, the positive power of, of words, right? A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, that's a, that's a scary concept. To think in a moment, man, you could, you could put a situation into two very different directions. Two very different directions, right? You can use a gentle answer and you can diffuse the situation. Or you can actually say something that's going to make it worse. 
stir it up even worse. Right? A couple, I don't, I don't remember, I think it was like six months ago, I was at UWA, uh, you know, hanging out with one of the students, and uh, I'm in line waiting to get a coffee, and the line is like really, really long, and I'm standing there just waiting because I'm a patient person. Not really very patient, but I'm waiting, uh, you know, and this guy just skips the entire queue, uh, comes right in front of me, uh, orders his coffee, uh, you know, the person in front of me kind of looks back at me, like, because I'm big, like, you gonna do, <laughs> are you going to do something about it? Uh, uh, you know, and I don't know, I'm a big person, but I'm kind of scared sometimes, and, and so I kind of look, I look at the guy, he l- turns and looks at me, and I just look back. Because there's like 10 people behind me, like kind of passing the buck on all those people. Like, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and he proceeds to cuss me out uh, and yell at me in front of the coffee shop. And I think, oh, oh uh, OK. And, 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 I, and I think in that moment, I have a choice because I can be sarcastic, as many of you know, you know, and I, I could say something in that moment that would make a bad situation probably a heck of a lot worse. Right. Uh, you know, and thankfully my sarcasm was not, not operating that day, you know. Uh, and instead I said, hey, can I buy you a coffee? And his whole demeanor kind of changed, you know. But I thought, man, in that moment, my words, I could have ended up with a black eye or out $4.50, you know. I had a choice <laughs> at that moment, you know. And, and thankfully, you know. I chose the, 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 the $4.50 cost, you know. Proverbs 15.4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life. But a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Crushes the spirit. You know, we, kids, you tell them, you know, the old children's song, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Not, actually, not really. <laughs> it says it can crush your spirit. That sounds worse than a broken arm. Crushed spirit. Devastated effect. All right, Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Fixing those bones that have been broken by those sticks and stones, right? Proverbs 18, 21. Probably the crazy. Right? The tongue is a power of life and death. Power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit, right? Those who... Uh, maybe in some sense what the, the writer of Proverbs is saying, those who understand that power, you know, can, they can benefit from it. But to understand, man, words are powerful. Powerful. We've got to understand that, that, that when we speak, man, we're, we're exercising power. I mean, you think about Ephesians 4 and the contrast there in that text, you know, where Paul says, and he's talking about church leadership and, and, and how we work with one another. He says, you know, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. You think about the contrast Paul's making here, right? When, 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 when uh, we give ear to and we listen to words that are just cunning and crafty and deceitful scheming, we are like, uh, you know, tossed back and forth like waves, right? Uh, in the wind of crazy ideas and crazy teaching. We're, we're, we're in chaos, right? The image of being tossed back and forth by waves, again, it's scary, right? Scary, scary picture, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Nothing worse, I think, in... in, in in terms of scary things that could happen, being, being stuck in the open ocean in a storm. Scary, right? I think it's, it's the 60th, I don't know about my math, 
Someone can double check the mass on it. But it's the anniversary of the sinking of the USS Indianapolis in the Second World War. Uh, and that was like a huge uh, ship with like 1,100 people on board. Uh, and it was sunk by a Japanese torpedo just after it had delivered its uh, uh, uranium for the Hiroshima bomb, which is an interesting fact, right? Good thing they sunk it after, not before. So that would have been a bigger disaster. But it was sunk just north of Australia, uh, you know, in, in, in uh, 300 uh, Navy uh, servicemen went down. Didn't get out of the boat. 900 got out of the boat, right? But in the open ocean for, for, for days, right? I think only 100 ended up being rescued. The, the, the sharks, obviously, that gathered simply, you know, the, the people would drink seawater and become disillusioned. There's an entire book called Ship of Ghosts. It's a great read if you like war stories, uh, you know. But, but, man, you know, I remember reading that book and being petrified. <laughs> It's that image being tossed back and forth in the waves at the mercy of the sea. And, and Paul says, look, deceitful scheming, I can do that to people. Cunning and crafty speech that's, that, that, that's deceptive and full of lies. Man, it, it could bring people's life into to, to chaos, into turmoil. There's a contrast. If we're in a community of people that instead speak the truth in love, we all become more and more like Christ. That our words, and even the attitude behind them, amen, because you can speak truth and it have no love and it have the wrong effect, yeah. right? And you can think you're full of love and not say truth and it has no effect, right? You need them together. Speak the truth in love together. He says, hey, that is the mechanism by which we grow and become more like Jesus. Our words are powerful. They're powerful, you know, and James wants us to understand that, right? But with it is this problem. Okay, because if you, if you read closely, you know, look again at the beginning here. You know, there in verses 1 to 6, I mean, his point is we've just kind of unpacked is this idea that the words are powerful, uh, but there is a sense of, uh, you know, ver- verse 2 where it says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is, able, who is never at fault in which they say is, is, is perfect and able to keep their whole body in check. And so, so James and Summers is saying, yes, your tongue is incredibly powerful, your words are powerful, but if you can somehow control them, the effect it has is, is quite profound. I mean, perfection doesn't mean like perfect, you never sin, but it, this image of maturity, if you can control what you say, right? Uh, you know, and there's a funny picture about it, right? Uh, you know, and, and, and so in one sense, James is saying that, and he's urging us to that, even, even with people who, who want to teach, in some sense, he's restraining them. And even Proverbs will say that as well. If you read Proverbs closely, it'll say, even a fool is thought wise if they keep their mouth shut. Right? There's a sense of just, if you can just be quiet, well, that's part of the problem solved. Right? And, and that's what James is, is driving at. But if you look at the end of the chapter, he seems to say the opposite. Right? Verses 9 to, to, to 12 there, he says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Right? Now look here closely, verse 11 and 12. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You know, in some sense, what James is saying here is what is in your heart determines what comes out of your mouth, right? If you're familiar with Matthew 12, uh, it's, it's uh, very, very similar to what Jesus talks about. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, uh, you know. Uh, can a good tree bear bad fruit? And the answer is no. Can a bad tree bear good fruit? No. And he's saying, hey, you've got to deal with the heart, and that will change what comes out of your mouth. Right? But James, in some sense, is saying two, two things here. Right? 
And, and, and you may look at it and think, okay, James, are you contradicting yourself? Uh, or maybe it's complementary. Maybe we need both. Maybe we actually do need to try to watch what we say. Because in that process, maybe that does something. But then at the same time, maybe we've got to understand that, man, I've got to change what's on the inside. I can't simply filter what, what, what I say. Right? Uh, you know, and you look, at, look, at, look, at, look at this a little bit more in-depthly, right? Uh, you know, if, if you try and control your tongue, you know, maybe try that this week. Maybe really try actively to, to not say anything that's, that's not truthful. Okay? And that doesn't mean just like blatant lies. That means you can't omit truth. Right? And that means you can't exaggerate. But you also can't minimize you got to speak truth, right? And you got to use your words powerfully. Don't use your words to defend yourself. Don't use your words to justify yourself. And don't use your words to tear down anyone else. Right? Really, really try to control your tongue, you know? Uh, you know and, and, and I think what happens if we actually try to do that is what we decide, <laughs> is what we end up discovering is that maybe our hearts are not as good as we think they are. I mean, one of the great themes of, of James's letter is that of self-deception. And he talks about that right in the beginning. You, look, we've got to be careful. If we read the Bible, if we sit and we, we go to church and, and we, we read it and we hear it, but we don't do it, James says, man, you better watch out. That's a looking in your face in a mirror. And you're going to end up deceived. And self-deception is, like, incredibly challenging because if you're self-deceived, you don't often know you're self-deceived. Right? And one of the scariest books I've ever read is this book called People the Lie by this psychologist, uh, um, quasi, quasi-Christian psychologist named Scott Peck. Uh, you know, he's similar to, uh, to Maney's favorite uh, podcaster, Jordan Peterson, in terms of like, you know, a lot of psychology, but also a lot of spiritual talk. Uh, you know, and the book's called People the Lie. And, and the whole thing is this idea of that the, the, the utmost evil that this guy has seen over these years as a, as a psychologist is that of, of people who lie so much they begin to believe the lies. And in some sense, they even become oblivious to the lie. Right? And he actually says he thinks these types of people are more damaging to society and to their relationships than even sociopaths. Right? Because sociopaths are not actually lying to themselves. They actually don't even have a conscience. They don't even actually think what they're doing is wrong. You know, but, but he's saying there are, there are people who, 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 in some sense, they do know that what they're doing is wrong. But they're going to lie about it and justify it so much so that they begin to believe that they are right in terms of their perspective and their actions. And, and he says that just absolutely destroys relationships. And it destroys families. And it destroys communities. You know, And, and I think maybe... <laughs> If, if more of us did this, if we actually tried to, to uh, filter more what we, what we say, here's my picture, right? Uh, then maybe we'd realize more and more that what we think we are is not actually what we are. And what we think uh, uh, of ourselves is not actually close to reality. I mean, geez, so, many, so many passages in the New Testament, uh, I think the New Testament writers plead with us to be people that practice self-examination. Jesus says, don't judge. It doesn't mean don't judge blankly. He says, no, no, judge yourself first. Judge yourself first. Take the plank out of your own eye first before you even begin to go after someone else. Once you've taken the plank out of yourself, then for sure you can help someone else. 
Right? He tells us basically, get your own spiritual life on straight. Because if you don't get your spiritual life on straight, you're a blind person leading another blind person, and you guys aren't going to get anywhere where, you know, that, that's productive. Right? And even Paul's letters to the church in Corinth. I mean, they are, they are putting Paul uh, you know, in, 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 uh, on a pedestal in some sense, not to, to uh, admire him, but to break him down. And they're judging him, and they're examining him. And Paul, over and over, is appealing to them, examine yourself. And even takes the communion there in, in his letters to the church in Corinth and says, hey, you are meant to be taking that bread and wine. You are meant to be examining yourself. And, and he basically turns their entire argument on themselves. You are examining me. He says, you should be examining yourselves. You know, because the reality is, is self-awareness is a trait that does not come naturally to mankind. I mean, so many sociologists have done studies that, that, that say that like 85% of a group of people believe that they are self-aware when in fact it's like less than 10%. That's scary. You know, but maybe if we actually try to, to filter and weigh our words, maybe if we stop and think, you know what, what I say has the power of life and death. So let me not just speak casually or flippantly, but let me think about what I'm saying. And I think as we do that, what we're going to discover is we're not as good as we think we are. That you know what, we think it's all fresh water down there, it's not. It's salt water. But we think, man, I produce figs so sweet for everyone else. And I was like, no, it's like bitter olives, okay? You know? And you think, we, 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 we won't realize, though, if we don't actually begin this process of trying to filter. Because right smack in the middle of that text we read there in chapter 3, you know, is, is verse 7 and 8, where he says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. I mean, in some sense, he's just urged people to tame the tongue. And then he's saying, but you know what? It's also impossible. You can't do it. You know, and this is, cha- this is a challenging section, guys. Okay? If you're looking for feel-good sermons the next couple of weeks, it's, it's not going to happen. Right? I mean, the next section is about, you know, you, you think you're wise. You better weigh the fruit of your life and see what it's producing. Because a lot of people think they're wise, but they produce a bunch of chaos. They're not actually wise, right? And, and then it gets into chapter 4 where it's about these desires that battle within us. And the reality is uh, we, we, we ask God because we're, we're spiritual people and we're religious people. And we, we ask God, but, but God doesn't give us what we want and we get angry. And we end up in fights and quarrels with, with God and with one another. And, and God says, you know, there in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, you adulterous people. Meaning you, you, you pledge yourself to me as a spouse, but you... you you have something else that you love and that you're messing around with. And God views this adultery, right? And he pleads with the people, right, to, to have radical change, right? Uh, ver, ver, verse 6, he tells them, God, chapter 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud but shows uh, favor or grace to the humble. Ver, verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know, and, and, and the, <laughs> right, right after that, again, he talks about slander. So I think this entire section, in some sense, is flowing together, where James is helping us to see, man, there are things in our heart that are not right. And, and if we're unaware of that, 
Start with your words. Because your words will tell you something about yourself. The things you speak most passionately about tells you a lot about what you're most passionate about. And the things that we say, the, the effect they have on others, you know, it, it should realize, it should make us realize that, man, I, I need to change. You know, and flip over to, to, to Matthew 12 here. Get a parallel passage from Jesus. Matthew 12. Then in, in verse 33, Jesus says, Make a tree good. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, who are evil, say anything good? (laughs) For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone, will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. That's a scary passage. That's a scary passage. You know, and Jesus even pokes at him like, you know, can you, can you actually say anything good? Because he knows there, there's, there's evil in their hearts. Uh, you know, and, and, and he knows that if that's not dealt with, nothing good can come. Nothing good can come. But if we don't take stock of our words, we miss an opportunity here to understand our hearts. And I think this happens a lot. I think we say things that expose our hearts, and then we backpedal. We say flippant comments, and then, oh, no, 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 I didn't mean that. That's not what I'm, you're misunderstanding it. Really? Or maybe, or maybe I do understand it, and I think even your defensiveness tells me that you understand it. Because now you're throwing more words at it to try to change the meaning, which is actually apparent from what you said originally. But that's an opportunity. One of the core basic points of the gospel is that we need to see ourselves as God sees us. And when that happens, we end up doing the very thing James says to do in chapter 4. Our laughter changes to mourning. Our, our, our thought of, a oh, man, I'm a good person. I don't know if I even really need God makes us realize, no, no, no. I desperately need God. The, the self-assurance that makes us say ridiculous things actually begins to be a bit of self-guessing and instead we choose to quote scripture rather than Samisms. Because we realize, you know, I actually don't know what I'm doing. But, but if I quote God's word, I'm at least on better ground. <laughs> You know, and putting these two things that James is saying of, hey, take control of your words, but, but also realize you've got to deal with it deeper. And when we begin to think about changing hearts, that should throw all of us back at God. And it should make us all humble ourselves before God and realize, man, I need God desperately. So God and God alone, He can take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. God alone can take salt water that's brackish and just will kill any living thing it comes on. Is the only thing that will actually, he's the only one that can change that into life-giving water. And again, it, it pushes us back on God. And when we turn to God, I think we do find that God, you know, God obviously is always willing to bring about change. You know, but the challenge for us as we leave today is to understand that when we open our mouths, We have moments of opportunity 
And we can be conduits of bringing life and healing. Or we can be conduits of bringing death and destruction. And that we've got to realize that, that, that we, we need to be active in terms of trying to be slow to speak. That we need to be active in trying to filter our, our, the, the words that come out of our mouth. But man, as we do that, that we should also have the humility to realize, man, I've got a bigger problem than I think I do. And I desperately need God. And I desperately need God's help to change it. But the beautiful thing is, is that the, 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 the point that's true for us in terms of our words wield power is the same for God's word. And you think, how do I change my heart? Well, God's word. I've been a disciple for years, and one of the greatest joys I have as a disciple is, is studying the Bible with people and, and seeing God's word just change people's lives. It's changed people's lives. You know, we've been studying with Sam, who's a great guy sitting there next to Andrew, you know, and, and Sam doesn't have a Christian background, and the first time we met two months ago or something like that, he's like, Old Testament, New Testament, what is that all about, right? No, 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 no knowledge of the Bible, you know, but, but over, over, you know, a month, month and a half, Sam reads, and lo and behold, what happens? Things change. Right? That's not Andrew's power. That's, that's the power of God's word. Right? The power of God's word. It changes us. Right? It has the power to change us. But, man, we've got to fill ourselves with it. And that's what Jesus says there in Matthew 12, right? That, that whatever we store up inside, whatever we fill up inside, that's what's going to come out. We've got to be a people to fill up our hearts and our minds with God's word because it will change what comes out of our mouths. And then it will enable us to be people that bring healing to one another's lives and to the lost world around us. Amen? Let's have a prayer and then we'll stand and sing one final song. Our Father, we, uh, God, we, we pray you help us, God. Now help us this week even, God, to, to have uh, some serious self-reflection as we weigh our words more carefully, God. Father, we, we know that, that as we do that, we're going to realize we're, we're, we're way worse than we think we are. That we got way more desires than just altruism flowing through our veins. God, we pray that, that as we realize that, that we, don't, that we don't turn a blind eye to it, that we don't rationalize it or explain it away, Father, but that we you know, allow our words to do something incredibly valuable, to show ourselves what's really in our heart, God. Father, in that moment, God, we, we, we pray that you help us to turn to you, God. That we know that, that you and you alone can actually change hearts. That you alone can change us from the inside. That you can you know, transform us into something new. That you can take something that's useless and make it incredibly useful, Father. Give us the humility to depend on you, Father. Help us be a people that, that hunger and thirst for your word. That, that fill our, ourselves up with, with your words, God. Father, we know that as we do that, we, we, that our bad trees will become good trees, God. Not because of ourselves, but because of you, Father. God, we pray you help us in all that. Your spirit can move in us and work through us, God, and transform us into something useful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Let's all stand together and, uh, and sing, Be With Me, Lord.